And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show. Presented by RIA Advisors. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Financial Fitness Friday of The Real Investment Show. I'm Rich Rosso, certified financial planner here with Danny Ratliff. CFP Squared. We're so glad you're here this morning. And the weekend's right here. You know, I got hit with this massive tax bill yesterday, and then I read this story, because <laughs> they wonder, what, why am I paying taxes? About the fraudsters that had plundered as much as half of the unemployment benefits that we threw out there during the pandemic. So this is uh, Blake Hall. He's the CEO of ID. Dot me, four hundred billion to crooked claims, and the Hayward Talcove is the CEO. It's LexisNexis Risk Solutions. Most of the stolen money, at least seventy percent, probably ended up outside the U.S. Criminal syndicates in China, Nigeria, I mean Russia. $400 billion, Danny, just <clears throat> of our money, gone. How's that? How's that make you feel about <laughs> writing a check to the IRS? Knowing that you're supporting illicit groups. I'm like, I wonder where it's going now. I wonder where this, this, this money's going. It's probably pretty similar to supporting the government <laughs> at this point. <laughs> That's <clears throat> sort of my point is, um, hmm. well, other than that being said, we had a hotter than expected, hot, hot, hot. I don't think Brent's got the song. Feeling hot, hot. Um, inflation number yesterday, 5%. Increase uh, as actually the greatest increase since uh, actually about 13 years. But, you know, the market took it in stride. Well, you, got think- a, you got a <clears throat> thesis about this? I do. What do you think? Well, I think you peel back the data and you start to look and say, okay, what's actually underneath the hood here? And, you know, Looking at it, so if we exclude food and energy, core inflation is up 3.8%. Mm-hmm. Now, if you start looking at, okay, where were the biggest uh, fact? What was the biggest factor here? And so if you look at the, the data, uh-huh. used cars, 29.7%. I mean, I look out at the car lot every day, and I thought actually thought this morning. So we're, we're right mm-hmm. next to a handful of uh, car dealerships yep. off of I-10, major freeway in the United States. And, I, you know, during the pandemic— there were times that you could look out and see zero cars on the lot. I mean, very, very few. Where that these lots weird. hold hundreds. Yeah. And I thought to myself, I should have taken a picture of this each and every day. <laughs> We've heard stories of people using arbitrage, selling a vehicle for as much or more than what they bought it for a year yep. or two before. Um, you know, going and finding a, a, an old, very old used car to drive until prices come back down. Um, you know, so used car prices went up almost thirty percent, twenty nine point seven percent. Airfares up 24%, jewelry up 14%, bikes 10%. Everybody was riding a bike during the pandemic, right? Everybody trying to do something to get away from people. And, and a big supply chain issue there. Yeah. And then, like, and then footwear, right? And so yep. we have a supply chain issue in, in a handful of, for a handful of reasons. One, initially because of the shutdown, because of, you know, factory workers, people not wanting to get to work. Then obviously, you know, with the commodities, things of that nature, you know, people in close quarters weren't there. But then you have the, the issue of, 
the supply chain from the labor side. Yep. So much different in the sense that you have all this federal unemployment numbers or data, excuse me, stimulus being thrown around, right? So $300 for, for each and every person who's out of work on top of the state unemployment benefits. You throw this, you factor this in with all the stimulus funds and people have been very hesitant to get back to work. In fact, Lance has told stories about his wife trying to hire people saying, you know what, I can start in September when my benefits run out. We're hearing stories from small business owners day after day after day. And this is a big deal. And that's why I think that this inflation data is so important to actually understand. And look at what happened yesterday. You know, we saw the 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 basically the non-reflation trade stocks did well. Yes. The inflation stocks didn't do so hot. And then you saw yields, which you would have thought. This is the craziest thing that we had all the this push up in interest rates because of the thought of inflation. We actually have it now. And granted, some is permanent, some is transitory. I'm not trying to make that argument, but we're having this data and, and the interest rate in the bond market is saying, hey, whoa, not so fast. I mean, what what are your thoughts? Well, to your point, that that's all really great information, and that's a good perspective on the inflation numbers. I also think, to your point, it's some of this is transitory. Yep. <clears throat> but I think what investors are looking at is, wait a minute. Companies have a little bit of inflation is not bad because companies have pricing power. Listen, if you're a CEO right now and you're not raising prices, you're an idiot. Okay, This is your time. People are price ignorant. They've been locked up for a year. They have built up cash. They want to spend. So as Americans being price sensitive, that's sort of gone out the window for what I call this honeymoon period where I got to go out and I got to do things. So, you know, market goes, hmm, well, some of this is going to go away. You know, it's going to be measured uh, on the inflation side. Although I have looked at the sticky price CPI. No, that's not some crazy movie from the 70s. It's syrup, that, right? Uh, huh? That's syrup. Yeah, yep. syrup, sticky price. But these are prices that really take a very long time to go higher, and then they stay higher. And that is at the highest record I've seen at about 4.7%. So, but again, I think markets are looking at it, to your point, Danny, that, hey, some of this is transitory. They dug into the numbers and saw what they thought would be transitory. Because listen, 30% increase in used cars, you it's not sustainable. No. I, this, a yeah. lot of this stuff is just not going to work, and people are going to become price sensitive again. But having a little pricing power, a little inflation is good for companies to raise prices, thus increase margins. So that's good. Now, when you look at the treasury, 10-year treasury, right, we've seen it slip below 1.5%. And it's sort of a conundrum for a lot of people because what the bond market's saying is, hey, we're going back to 1.8%, 2% GDP once the honeymoon is over. It's inevitable. You also have to keep in mind that there's a lot of demand by foreign investors for treasuries. I mean, we've got positive yields um, and we are still the cleanest dirty shirt relatively speaking, in the world. In other words, we may not be happy with some of the things that are going on in the United States when we look at it on an absolute basis. When I look at it on a relative basis compared to the rest of the world, we are still in great shape. And you have cash holdings that have, like we talked about on the consumer side, but also commercial banks, Danny, you know what they're saying? Don't give us any more money. They got $17 trillion 
that's according to the Federal Reserve of St. Louis. We we we, we don't want any more too much cash. Too much cash. You know, yeah. uh so you know, I think the demand for treasuries is also skewing this, but I think the bond market is telling us that a lot of this is transitory and that um we're gonna go back to this sluggish growth rate. Because think about this. What really has changed pre-pandemic, post-pandemic, when it comes to the foundation or economic catalysts that would take GDP to 3% plus? We don't have that. Now, there could be some encouragement on the infrastructure bill. Uh, I know the Senate committee met, spend much less money, no tax hikes, you know, the 10, 10 senators that sit mm-hmm. on this bipartisan committee. That was pretty encouraging. I think the market's going to pick up on that as well. So we'll talk a little about futures and, you know, some personal finance stuff you need to know when we return here on Financial Fitness Friday. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at Real Invest. InvestmentAdvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. RealInvestmentAdvice.com. The Real Investment Show. Welcome back to the Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with Richard Rosso. So talk a little bit about inflation and some of the things that are occurring. You know, obviously a big number yesterday uh, was core CPI. And what does that mean for investors? And I think a big thing that, you know, we try to understand is that the Fed has had this 2% mandate for some period of time and, you know, saying that they're going to need to see inflation at 2% or more for a bit, mm-hmm. which we have now seen. So where does this put them and what does that say to investors? I'm, Clearly, they're not buying it from the investment standpoint that they're going to go in and either begin to taper or start to raise rates, Rich, mm-hmm. because if, you know, markets or their bond markets would indicate anything, it's anything but that at the moment. That doesn't mean that can't change. The sentiment can't change quickly. I mean, obviously, we know how Fed talk goes. And, um, you know, it's one thing, you know, one day and something different the next. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I. I don't really think the Fed knows what the heck it's doing, especially post-pandemic, right? We've got all these benchmarks that they set, but they don't stick, right? Correct. So now they're going to figure out, well, how much above 2% can we go, right? And they're still going to stick to their story, Danny, that this is transitory. You know, and they'll change their mind later on. Hey, listen, why don't you think the Fed doesn't print? I don't see any kind of money estimates, M1, M2. They don't put that out anymore. No, why don't they do that? Why, do they do, why don't they do that? So the Fed is anything but transparent. Now they talk transparent, 
but they're not. They also know that they have created tremendous moral hazard, right? Tremendous price distortion in every asset class. Yeah, fiscal stimulus added to it, but monetary stimulus has been on this track for over 12 years. They don't want to be known to, you know, increase the wealth or the wealth inequality. So to me, I think they always have to move the goalposts on these things, Danny, because how are they ever going to Okay, they might pull back some of the buyback, you know, some of the stuff they were doing uh, with QE and all the variations of it. Um, But how long, like what kind of a stock market correction would we need before they decide, oh, wait, you know, we can't, we got to bow to the market again. Um, I mean, I I think people have finally gotten on to the Fed's going to bail us out. Fed has our back. Yep. And frankly, until we get greater economic growth, fundamentally, you know, demographic changes and so forth, um, I don't think these investors are wrong. But I think they're talking, overconfident, but I don't think they're wrong. Yeah, demographic changes can take, I mean, decades. That's not something that happens quickly. We look at the shifting, you know, landscape globally. I mean, we see a lot of demographic issues across the globe. You may, and you may raise wages. So everybody's worried about wage inflation. You're going to raise wages, but look at productivity. And then listen to some of these conference calls from the CEOs and CFOs. You know what they're talking about? Technology. Mm-hmm. I can have one worker do the work of three if we install this type of technology. I don't think that's going to change. <clears throat> So even though I might have some workers making 20 bucks an hour, uh, I'm also going to look at technology. And yes, even in the lower paying service jobs, eventually that is going to happen. So now you need the people, but eventually you get the technology and then you decide which of those people to keep. So, you know, we're going to go through so much, so many different trends post pandemic for the Fed, for the executive branch, for us as advisors on how to advise people on where inflation is going to be. We did raise inflation to 2.5% uh, in our numbers, and we look at inflation by goal. I still don't know until I get better data, Danny, what, what we're going to have to do to long-term care inflation rate, medical yeah. inflation rates. Because, again, the Fed can play around with the numbers all they want. We're dealing with people that are going to have inflation to some degree affect them or how they spend. And that's just a fact. Now, I don't think it's going to be hyperinflation and all this talk of inflation in the 70s. So, again, I think the Fed's just going to have this moving target. And I'm surprised people haven't just – I think the people that are, like, nerdy, like, I don't want to say Mike Leibowitz. Um, I think that people who are really nerdy – Wait a second. No, no here's what I'm going because he's such a Fed expert, right? Yeah. He gets bothered by the moving goalpost. And, and he calls the Fed out on the carpet. But most people, they don't care. They're going to look at their 401ks and say, hey, they're going up. Um, and people that are spending like on medical expenses and just food and other things then gas are going to start to see their prices go up. They're oh, going to curse more the executive branch, but they may not curse the Fed. But, you know, it's all entwined. Well, um, it, it is. But I mean, you talk about the money supply. Money supply has increased like 31% since 2019. But nobody's yes. talking about it because no, they're, not, it, they're not promoting. And, and they the average Joe away. doesn't care. They don't care. They don't care that federal spending is up 50%. They don't, but they know the academic, the people like Mike Leibowitz. Uh, picking on him this morning. Because where's Lance? Is Lance trolling us? Uh, 
Oh, let me pick on. He my must. Have, he must have fallen back asleep. So I mean, though, what I'm saying is, <clears throat> the people that really can make a stink can't look at these numbers anymore. That's the only way I could think about it. Well, the issue is, you know, we always talk about being nimble from an investing standpoint. Right. I wonder, you talked about how it changes advisors' perspective. Do advisors, yeah. is the typical portfolio that, you know, quote unquote, many financial advisors use dead? I mean, think about it. Your fixed income that you could rely on for three to 5% is gone. For now, absolutely. For now and, and for, how, for how much longer? I mean, you know, we're in this environment that we should see this massive, you know, increase in interest rates, yet... We're not. It's the complete opposite. That's right. Um, people, you know, it's a common theme. that Why would you invest in in bonds? Well, there's been price appreciation, you know, as of recent. I mean, if you were long duration, well, we've got capital bonds and portfolios that we can't sell, even though we can make nice gains. Where the heck am I going to get three to five percent tax free or even two and a half, three percent taxable? So it's a dilemma because if I sell those bonds, I have to make a decision, Danny. I got to swim the Red River to the other side, two stocks. In other words, people are going to say, well, I could look at stocks as a bond surrogate, right? I could look at stocks as a bond uh, proxy, and that is absolutely wrong. You might want to own stocks because you have no choice and look at dividend stocks, but dividends are no snuggie. For your portfolio, you are going to take more risk. But to Danny's point, either you're going to sit and wait. We're going to talk about an article that really ticks me off. We're going to sit and wait and cash a little bit, right? I don't know. Pension funds seem to be buying up long-term treasuries. And I know they have to, but they still have the best yields. I mean, if you really want safety, you might have to be more out of the box creatively with your portfolio, right? Annuities. Correct. You might need to look at some investments that are going to look at a guaranteed lifetime income that replace bonds. You can use plain vanilla annuities, And I'm not talking variable, expensive annuities with bells and whistles, but fixed rate annuities. Now, they're going to be a little bit better than bonds, but at least I know I'm not going to be negative on my yield based on the price I pay. I might have to use bonds through uh, annuities through this period that are laddered out. You got to free your mind, but don't think that stocks have no risk when you replace them. With bonds. Well, that's a common theme, right? It's like, okay, well, we know the Fed's always going to be there, just like you alluded to, that they're going to continue to back this. And at what point do they actually step away and, you know, take take their Kool-Aid? What happens then? I had a cousin who was the black sheep of the family, right? He always dressed in these horrible T-shirts, like in the 70s, like, you know, let's truck and let's on the back or whatever. And my grandmother would go crazy, all right? But you know what? She's like, he's a better boy. He's a better seed. And then he'd come in one day and he'd wear this, you know, shirt and tie for, you know, and he looks like an angel. Oh, he look different. He no, he's still a devil. If I go from bonds to stocks, you're buying my cousin in a shirt and a tie. You understand? In your other cousin words, Vinny? Yeah. Tony. Tony. Okay. Might as well. It always ends with a Y. <laughs> so the, what I'm saying is it's okay. Like I tell clients, we tell clients, saying, listen, when these bonds mature, what am I going to have to do? I'm going to have to step you up on the risk uh, you know, spectrum a bit because 
I can't get any income. We have an income. We have built an income-based portfolio. Correct. And I think Mike and Lance and Nick have done an incredible job putting this together to try to put yields properly with a 20, 80, 20% stock, 80% fixed income. Listen, we had to really think outside the box, but this isn't your plain vanilla bond stock allocation. And you need to understand that. And we don't know how long rates are going to remain lower because to Lance's point always, which is very important, yields are ultimately a reflection of economic growth. And when you start to see the 10-year go higher over time, it means that it's actually not a bad thing. It means that we have growth in the economy. And the 10-year is telling you right now, and I know there's demand for it, but overall it is telling you. We're not going to 3 4% growth that I hear some of these honeymooners on all these financial mainstream channels talking about, oh, this is the new paradigm. This is the new thing. This is going to change. What's changed? Nothing's changed except the fact that they can sell you stocks and you're going to buy them now. That's it. But nothing else has changed. So you have to really understand the risks of the portfolio versus the reward you're getting. And I think that's a tough conversation yeah, for everybody because they need income. That's a good point. I mean, we're, we're stuck in the exact same spot we were pre-pandemic. Exactly. Except, except the world has more debt. And personal savings has gone up, don't worry, and we're seeing some inflation. But we're seeing inflation over what? That's the key. But you're right, though. We, because of, you know, we, we quarantined the healthy. Never did that before. Really weird response. And we now have all this money in savings. But to Danny's point, what's really changed except for the rapid move in this recovery? Recovery is one thing. Expansion is a different thing. And the fun, and the pundits that don't know anything mix up the words quite a bit to confuse I'm ready to get to expansion. To I don't know about you. you. Not along my waistline. That's the only one I'm not going to keep. Got to keep thin. All right. We'll be right back. Financial Fitness Friday. Real Investment Show. Stay tuned. Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual Lunch and Learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual Lunch and Learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. Real investmentadvice.com. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. Yes. Investors, you have something to worry about. Your greatest enemy. No, it's not your in-laws. It is mainstream financial media who are now going to write articles to feed your FOMO, feed your fear of missing out. Okay? We have $17 trillion being held in money markets and so forth. Now, Moody's Analytics 
estimates estimates that U.S. households had $2.3 trillion in excess savings at the end of the first quarter. That's on top of what households would have saved if the pandemic had not occurred. And say the savings behavior was the same as it was in 2019. Yeah, because we had nowhere to go. So you put money in cash. Now the industry wants you so desperately at these valuations to throw money into the market because of the feared inflate, because they have that inflation word on their side. Because they're going to assume in every article they write that you're just going to sit in cash forever. You're too stupid to wait for pullbacks. You're too stupid to wait for valuations. So go ahead and get that cash out and put it into investments because it's going to pain you not to do it. So these articles that you're going to start to see, and I started specifically looking for them yesterday and found the, found the golden nugget, <clears throat> are going to try to seduce you dramatically by throwing inflation fear at you and all this other stuff to get you to ungrip from your cash. Because all these magazines that you read on personal finance, their whole goal is are to be bottom feeders for the, uh, for the things that you know, swim at the top of the water on Wall Street. That's all they're designed to do, which is why I read them and I get, you know, hives. So the one thing I want to tell you is stick to your guns. And the first thing about cash is, and Danny and I talk about this all the time, these crises seem to be every 10 years, not every 1,000 years as these magazines usually tout. So one year of living expenses in cash to build what we call your financial vulnerability cushion, because here's why. You could have made it through your job. You could have made it through the pandemic and you are, you're just like, whew, wow, nothing, nothing's going to happen to me now. I mean, I just went through the pandemic and kept my job. Well, guess what? You have companies now that are, now that things have calmed down, they're really reassessing because of increases in wages, whether or not you're even worth it. So maybe you were worth it during the pandemic, but going forward, you're not going to be. So we are never safe. So one year, three to six months in living expenses for the stuff that breaks down, like, like you know, how to replace some of my sprinkler heads. Because when I pull out of my driveway at 5 a.m. and it's dark as heck and I'm half asleep, I run over, I'm, I'm literally in my, in my neighbor's yard, all right? And I'm like on our grass going, how did I get here, all right? I busted some sprinkler heads, right? This is, this is the emergency cash. Then what, Danny? The next three to six months is in case of something happens. The something happens money. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I lost my job. My hours got cut. My wife lost her job. There's an illness or some, you know, like, Dan, like Lance is going for an operation to change everything. He's a whole new body. It's, it's like, I don't need, he's like Lee Majors now. He's got every part replaced. So what I'm saying, something could happen that you will be very grateful, regardless because everything's telling you everybody thing is so rosy and you made it through the storm, right? It doesn't mean that the storm clouds are gone. So... This is one article that we're reading from this magazine. Talks about how cash is terrible. 
but let's decide, let's put aside the financial vulnerability cushion. Say I have that. Now, Danny, I'm sitting on well, hold cash. on. Expl explain what that is, oh. because most people probably don't understand. Most people only understand what is the emergency reserve. Well, go, ahead. go ahead. Talk about our so, financial vulnerability. So financial cushion vulnerability cushion is something that we, we discussed years ago. We're thinking, OK, we need to start thinking outside the box. This, you know, expectations may not be as, as rosy in the future. We may have some problems. Um, what do people need to do to prepare themselves? Mm -hmm. And we, we thought, you know what, let's, let's start implementing a financial vulnerability cushion in the event there's a big recession, job losses, um, things of that nature. And so that would be excess above and beyond what you would typically hold in the emergency reserve. And that may look a little bit different for everybody, just like, you know, generally speaking at dual income families, three to six months of expenses. Um, if you have a very um, settled job, if you're tenured, if you have a fixed income, you know that your job is very secure, you don't need nearly as much. But if you don't, maybe you're on commission sales, there's a lot of volatility in your industry, then you want a little bit more. And so same thing for a financial vulnerability cushion. It's a little bit different for each person. You know, we can go even so much deeper into this, Rich, in the sense of, do you have disability insurance? Do you have, I mean, let's start, you know, oh. talking about all the things that right. most people should have that not everyone does. And so we well, can really not get enough, in the weeds. Maybe. Not yeah. enough. Correct. Right? And, and so that can also impact these numbers. So it's, it's a little bit disingenuous just to say that everybody needs to have exactly this. Well, not everybody. Everybody's different. Everybody's circumstances uh, are, are a little bit different from a debt perspective, from an income, from the expenses. You know, a lot of it's all about what we spend. And, and so I think this is a big thing. But that financial vulnerability cushion is to give you additional, um, you know, funds to protect you and your family. So think about it this way. Your emergency reserve is my AC is broken. Rich ran over my lawn again and busted my sprinkler heads. That's the emergency reserve. The financial vulnerability cushion is something in my life is broken. And I need this money to fix it until I recover. Whether it's filling in holes for maybe not enough disability coverage Maybe my job cuts back my hours because, like I said, I don't think anybody is safe post-pandemic because every company is going through a bit of upheaval. And we don't know the over underlying the over trends or the underlying trends of what's going to happen post-pandemic in many businesses. I mean, things have changed a bit from that perspective. So and to Danny's point, though, you might not need a year. We're just throwing that out as a general rule. And I'm going to say 85 percent of people that that's probably a good rule. But now in dating, I have a portfolio and I'm going to keep. I, and again, I'm not in distribution where I need to keep some cash aside, a bucket, you know, I get some cash aside because I'm taking I'm creating my retirement paycheck from my portfolio and I really want to cash well. And then when I take profits and my income, whatever that is, flows into the bucket and I take that cash periodically, maybe every month, uh, every quarter, whatever it is. But I might be sitting on a little bit more cash. Maybe I rebalanced and I didn't know where to play my, place my money. Well, this article is talking about, well, gosh, your returns are just going to go, you know, you're going to, again, no focus on the risk. Remember, this article has not the word risk in it at all. The only risk it has is inflation risk. But no other risk is going to matter to them because stocks don't have any risk. Stocks always go up. That's what financial mainstream publications are there to tout to you. Stocks only go in one direction. Now, over 100 years, that's absolutely true. If you're, you know, Bella Lugosi, then that's okay. If you're Dracula, you're going to live 100 years. But what if I take a 30, 40% hit? 
maybe even a 5 or 10% hit. Well, if I've got cash, that's okay. If I'm an accumulator, I should be buying in with that cash. There is nothing wrong with holding cash, even at least temporarily, until you know your strategy. But the article's like, oh my gosh, you know, you, you know, your life is like over if you sit on excess cash because, you know, inflation, nothing about capital loss, nothing, because stocks never lose. You know, at what point, stocks never lose. At what point are they going to have to switch gears here? Because you, if you think mm-hmm. about it, you have the largest generation, the baby boomers, you know, 10,000 people turning 65 every day. And they're becoming distributors, mm-hmm. not accumulators. At what point are these articles going to have to change to suggest maybe something different? Good luck. Oh, I mean, but everybody said this. And here's, here's the thing, that it's not an all or nothing strategy. You shouldn't be all in cash. No. You shouldn't be 100% in the market. And that's what many of these articles allude to is that you're either all, you're one or the other. It needs to be a little bit of both. And, you know, it's, it's like we have, we talk to people all the time, Rich, and you know this, that they've been in cash for an extended period of time. All sometimes cash. since 2009 yeah, or 2008. Right. Yeah, right. And that, that is a problem. That is, right? You're losing purchasing power. Um, you've missed out on a great bull market. But, you know, there, there is something for peace of mind. Now, that's why we believe that needs to be a little bit of both. You need to have a strategy. The issue is that, you know, if you get in cash, we can always find a reason not to get back into the market. It's easy, especially if you're not in and you don't see the actual appreciation. To your point, the all or none doesn't work. Now, here's my cousin Tony giving okay. you a, uh, in his tie, giving you some advice. Too much cash is bad for your wealth. Oh, he's such a sweet boy. Says Mark Halfley, chief investment officer at UBS. A $10,000 investment in a three-month treasury bill, a proxy for cash, grew to $21,351 over a 30-year period ending in December 2020. Study by T. Rowe Price. In contrast, 10000 invested in the S&P 500 index would have been 211000 because, you know, you just are able to invest for 30 years because life never gets in the way. So that's my cousin Tony in his shirt and tie. Black a sheep. Do not take this advice. It will hurt you. When we get back, we're going to talk a little bit about, I think, Danny, you brought it up, the happy balance. And maybe how to deploy cash intelligently, not based on cousin Tony. I have an Uncle Tony, too. This Tony's all over the place. We don't get creative in Italian. Why does this not surprise me? It doesn't. It shouldn't. We'll be right back. Financial Fitness Friday. Stay tuned. Look at you, now look at me. Look at you, now look at me. Look at you, now look at me. You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care june 24th at noon realinvestmentadvice.com the real investment show
Welcome back to The Real Investment Show. I'm Danny Ratliff here with Richard Rosso, Certified Financial Planners. Hope everybody's off to a fantastic start this morning. So talked a little bit about cash this last segment and you know how the mainstream media just thinks that it's a terrible investment. And, you know, I think one of the things that we're trying to explain or, you know, our thoughts are that this is not a all or nothing strategy. And, you know, many people say cash. And, you know, usually when we look at these articles, you know, most of the time they're comparing it to a strictly 100 percent equity portfolio. Or if you're invested in the S&P 500 index, what the difference would be. And we can always find periods of time that look really, really good. Mm -hmm. But they also only talk about being accumulators. And so. You know, there's a lot of people out there that have had a lot of cash on the sideline. You know, shoot, we just studies just show that there's 17 trillion dollars on the sideline. Savings, personal savings rate has gone up exponentially. You know, typically it's around seven percent pre-pandemic. We're over 14 this last month. We've been even higher than that when all the stimulus checks hit. And so I think that you know, when talking about cash, we have to be real careful because mm -hmm. cash can be a position. Cash does pay you, and well, cash uh, isn't trash. Cash is not trash. That's on right. how you use it. That, yeah. That's exactly right. Well, and you can't find places that pay a little bit of interest. Right now, typical money markets and brokerage accounts are not paying much, if anything at all. Um, you know, we were seeing a little bit of yield on that, you know, prior to this last year or so. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think those days will come back here at some point. You know, so one of the things, though, Rich, is that we talk to people frequently who have been just completely out of the markets. And I think that's where we get in trouble with these types of articles when it's that all or nothing strategy. Because, Rich, we can always make a, make a case for not getting into the market. market oh, my, you know, my, my dog is scratching. Uh, you know, Brent is touching buttons. Uh, I don't like the president. You know, what we find is people will have excuses, especially politically, because as we have become so politically divided, people are very passionate about who the president is and when mm -hmm. to invest. Um, I remember when Obama became president. Okay, no, we can't invest. And then when Trump became president, we need to invest or the opposite. What I'm saying is it's really interest rates in the Fed. Forget the executive branch. You're going to lose a lot of money if you invest politically um, or thinking about political, you know, uh, the kinds of forays. Think about like what's just happened, right? We got this huge infrastructure bills, right? Talking about taxes going up and the market has done nothing but handle it very well because of the liquidity, because of low interest rates and there's nowhere else to place the money. You got to remember, there are a lot of other factors outside of politics that are going to affect markets. Well, but even that, uh, I mean, you so, know, but I'm not saying that's one of the big correct. ones we're hearing lately, but there are so many. So markets are expensive, right? You know, and, and, and granted, and they, are. They, they are, and they've been like this for years where they've been expensive. We look at it from a, a price to earnings standpoint, uh, which I'm not even sure if that means so much anymore at mm. this point in the game. But I think the key here is, is not have that all or nothing strategy. Understand you can get into the markets and have some exposure to risk assets, but you need to have that discipline to be able to get out or to have cash on the sidelines. So if you do get that large correction, you can take advantage of it because you know, the markets can remain like this and, and for all intents and purposes here, be very, very over overvalued for a longer period of time than most people can probably, you know, you, you know how it would make people understand it better? Think of stocks as products. There are times when there's a product in demand and I don't care what I pay for it. I want it. Right. 
then there are times when the, like I could show you times when the market's undervalued and no one wants stocks. Like, in other words, you got to have the demand elephant for stocks. Valuations are a very poor way to invest overall. It's a, they're gr valuations are great awareness tools. Valuations keep you grounded to understand risk. But as far as the overall demand for stocks, if I want that iPhone, if I want that stock, I don't care about the price. And we have been in one of those stages, regardless of valuations. There'll be a point where we don't. I wish I knew I would be happy to share it with all of you. But what I'm saying is you got to look at stocks outside of valuations and the valuations are your looking at the exit. Your valuations are a trigger because when markets do turn, valuations always get blamed. Like, in other words, on the way up, valuations get ignored. But then the financial pundits are all over the V word when markets have a pullback. Oh, well, you know, valuations are high. Then they use it as an excuse, which is that the correction had probably nothing to do with the valuations because overall... I still want the product. I just took a break. So you do have to understand that if you want to invest money, that you got to look at it for, is there a demand for this product compared to other products out there? Until a better product or at least a product that can compete comes along, stocks are going to, your point, Danny, PE doesn't mean anything. Not, mm -hmm. not at the moment, not with so much in the background. I mean, mm -hmm. there's, such a, there's such a security net at the moment. That's right. And, and that'll, that will go away at some point, or it's going to have to, where they're going to need to raise interest rates. They're going to, you know, you mentioned the hyperinflation earlier. I agree. I don't think we see that hyperinflation. I think we do have some monetary policy and tools that can curtail that. However, you know, I think there's going to be, you know, we're watching two different recoveries in so many ways, and it's tough to differentiate the two right from the the permanent increases that we've talked about from the consumer goods the staples you know talking about ceos who are taking advantage of this opportunity with people sitting on all this cash saying you know what let's go ahead and start raising our prices and you got to be crazy not to yeah i mean if you're if you're a ceo and you do have supply chain issues but this is your time where people are not price sensitive at all and they want to get out and they want to spend that money they it's 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 burning a hole in their pockets. Um, I was one of those idealistic people that said, you know, maybe people, you know, and, they, and we have seen some habits change, but I was really one of those people saying, maybe people will just keep that cash and build their financial vulnerability cushion. And then that yellow brick road, you know, is going to lead to this gold mine. And, you know, you know, I was just thinking that maybe people really would have changed, but, you know. Then they're like, I can get on an airplane and get a drink and I can go somewhere and, well, not that anymore. That, that, <laughs> bye. Way to go, guys. Uh, we came up with a new um, metric. I didn't tell Lance about it yet. It's called the MP to Emmy Medi meteoric, meteoric Price to Mediocre Earnings. How do you like that? I like Because the price is meteoric, right? We yeah. get these huge prices, and earnings are okay. And that's why I'm calling them mediocre compared to the price. Put that in there, Mike. MP over Emmy. That's I want to see this chart. That's the Rosso indicator. Uh, cousin Tony indicator. Um, so if you have cash, to Danny's point, you're always going to, and if you're sitting on cash for 10 years and you did this all or none decision, you're going to come up with every excuse not to d invest. 
but the fear of missing out is getting to you. How do I scratch, how do I scratch that itch, Danny? What do I do? Like, I think I have to have a couple of things that I do, right? One is like going slow, right? I come up with a periodic way of placing some money. See, it's not all or none. Yep. Maybe I start with 10%, see how things go. Add another 10, you know, it it's unfortunate it's going to take work. It's going to take time. If you don't have time, you got to look to a fiduciary or an advisor partner to help you. But you, you got to, you, if you go all in, the first 5% pullback, you're going to be out. Not a good, not a good move. Well, you, you know yourself, if you've been all out, uh -huh. there's no reason to go all in. No. Right. I mean, you're out for a reason. And so there's no rate of return that you can achieve, I believe, that is worth your peace of mind, your health. Mm -hmm. it, it just, this, it doesn't make any sense. So you have to step in and you have to have some type of strategy to do so. And that is the key, Rich, is that so many people are just going to say, well, I'm just going to go ahead and you know what? Fed's going to be there. We're going to throw it all in. Well, that's right. You, you can. But that moment you get that 5% correction, 10% correction, that's usually where people hit the door again. <laughs> really, it's not a way to invest. Or we work, you work with an advisor and you and we have this great booklet available at Real Investment Advice, the questions you must ask your new advisor. And I built this guide to help these people squirm and give you the power. That's why I developed this, right? I, when, like I, I had one person that said, you know, Rich, I'm thinking about coming to you guys, but I'm interviewing all these other people. And I said, this is a very smart idea. Very smart idea because you get an idea of philosophies, but print out those or print out the booklet. And I want to just know if this advisor sort of shifts in the seat a bit. Mm -hmm. She calls me, she goes, he looks like a jumping bean. <laughs> That's how I know the guide works. So if you work with advisor that has a sell discipline, then or an exit strategy to some degree, to protect your downside, well then, okay, maybe then you do want to blend it, your portfolio. But again, that's not a hundred percent stock portfolio. This article also brings up a fact about having or assumption over cash is instead of cash, I go all into stocks. Yeah, because that's realistic. That you know, this ma this major so-called respected magazine is telling me that if I have been sitting on all this cash, I should just really go into the S and P five hundred because. You know, I'm going to make so much more in 30 years. Well, because stimulus will be there if you need it. <laughs> yeah. And stocks always go up, right? You know the chart? When you go sit with your broker, you're going to see the chart that shows from 18 whatever, uh, you know, stocks always trend higher. But then start to look at 10 to 15, 20-year snippets, like your real life expectancy or time you, you, you save or time in retirement and see how stocks can go down or be flat. It's not all up. Unless you started investing like Warren Buffett and he was like two years old from the crib. You know, buy me stock. That was his first, those were his first words. Was he the original E-Trade baby? Hey, yeah. You know what? I love those darn commercials. Hey, listen, we'll see you next week. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thanks for being here with us. We really appreciate it. Money, money, money. Money, money. In a rich man's world. Money, money, always Sunday, in a rich man's world. While the big 
Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.